You got it. I got to get the disclaimer up, girl. Oh, my God. Okay, so you know that if I click stop, then we have to redo it, then it's like a whole thing, remember? Yeah, so we'll just get rolling. It's fine. I found it. We're good. Okay, so hi. Hi, everybody. This is Kristen Victoria. The views and opinions expressed on this show are solely for entertainment purposes. These views and opinions do not reflect the views of our employers and are not intended for legal diagnostic or therapeutic purposes. I'm gonna I'm just gonna edit our first beginning part. <laughs> I got a little overzealous there. Okay, so I did some thinking after our last episode on the choice of words. And I used the word crazy throughout the episode, which is a word that I like to use. And then we talked about it briefly at the end. I was like, is this something I shouldn't use? Is this something I shouldn't use? And I was like, maybe I'm being a little lazy because and like, cause like there is a plethora of other words that I could be using, like to describe, because I'm not saying that that person's mentally ill. I'm saying that that person is like mean and um, unpredictable and just an you know what I mean? Like I had a whole list. As a shortcut. <laughs> yes, I'm using it as a shortcut, and then I was like, "Well, that's fine, right?" Because I don't mean it to be insulting. But then I was thinking, do you remember back in the day? I don't know if you were an awful junior hire, but I was. And sometimes we would call things gay. Oh, girl, no. I was yeah, a good yeah. Okay, we called things gay. We'd be like, "That's gay." Um, and like, I was not a homophobic child, right? Like, we didn't mean mm -hmm. it. Like, you're, you're like, um gay like you like people of the same sex or whatever you want to use it for uh we meant it as like a mean comment and now as like a proper adult you go no 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 you can never say things Ooh, like that bad. that's horrific yeah so i'm like maybe i need to decrease my use of crazy but can i still mm -hmm. say can i still say that something is like nuts that's the real question yeah. I feel like that's safe. I feel, I mean, here's the thing with language, right? With words, with language, that is the wonderful tapestry of the lexicon of which we are raised. And I think it just illustrates, you know, our background, how we grow up and the words that are typically used and commonly used and socially appropriate at times, you know? So eh, I think it's just, we are conscientious when we can be reflect when we're not and just try our best every time. Okay. I'll take that. Thank you, pal. You're the best. <laughs> You're welcome. Fun. I just I just was thinking about it all week and I was like hmm because like I love mentally ill people um and I never have anything negative to say um but I do not like people who kill their exes and then their children which is also what I learned this week because we talked about doing <laughs> familiacide cases and I was mm -hmm. like really really struggling because um they're very sad and I hate them these are the cases I get like very interested in because I'm like, well, hold on a second. Wait a minute. What's going on here? That you can kill your children? Thing? Yeah. Because that's both like your spouse and your children. Like that, I think is just like a whole new level, you know, versus and your spouse, you could try decide to kill your spouse and you up, up the ante by killing your child. I think that's why Shirley was very, very fascinating to me. Um, but I think familiar side cases are very interesting. I mean, they're interesting, but I mean, here's the thing. I get seen killing your spouse. I really do. I understand how that could come up, but, but like right. your babies, like, I mean, if anyone oh, looks at my it. dogs wrong, I want to kill them. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. 
As I look into my dog's little loving face at this very moment, the idea of someone causing harm, you're done for. Mm-hmm. You're done for. Yes. That okay. is not an imminent threat. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know, right? We're not actually going to kill anybody. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. This is not something we want to be used in court later. Um, anyway. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't even play. Don't play okay. people out there. Okay. So I am going to start this week, and I actually wanted to start my case with my social worker thing by doing a little description of um, like family killers. Um, a family suicide is a type of murder or murder suicide in which a perpetrator kills multiple close family members in quick succession, most often children, relatives, spouses, siblings, or parents. In half the cases, the killer lastly kills themselves in a murder suicide. Where all members of a family are killed, the crime may be referred to as family annihilation. So mm-hmm. that's a direct quote from Wikipedia. But then I actually found this really amazing article that was a source in Wikipedia. Um, and it was, wouldn't it be funny if I didn't link it? No, it's a BBC article. I got it. It's in there. Yeah, I was like, I have all my sources listed at the bottom. Nope, it's from BBC. But it talks about the four different types of family killers because they've broken them down into four types. Ooh, it's mm-hmm. my intellectual like brain. I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. yeah, tell me yep. more. So the first one is the self-righteous killer. They seek to locate blame for crimes upon the mother who holds responsible for the breakdown of the family. Um, for these men, their breadwinner status is central to their ideal of the ideal family. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The next one is anomic. The family has become firmly linked to the economy in the mind of the killer. The father sees his family as the result of his economic status, allowing him to display his achievements. However, if the father becomes an economic failure, he sees the family as no longer serving his function. Oh, well, okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I have two more. So disappointed. (laughs) This killer believes his family has let him down or has acted in ways to undermine or destroy his vision of ideal family life. An example may be that the children are not following the traditional religious or cultural customs of the father. And then, yep. Um, they have some examples in there, but I think that one of them was um, that, I don't know if you saw this news article, it was probably like maybe five years ago, but I think it was like an honor killing, like the girl was dating somebody and the dad killed her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that was one of the examples here. Um, and then the fourth one, the last one is paranoid. Those who perceive an external threat to the family. This is often social services or the legal system, which the father's fears will side against him and take away the children. Here, the murder is motivated by a twisted desire to protect the family. Huh. Yep. Yep. Interesting. So that that is all my reading and education and social work part of this because I really struggled because... I don't find these people interesting and I hate them basically. So, so I know you, you wanted to do the, the murder that you talked about and you will talk about next, but um, yeah. I, I was like clicking through stuff. Like, I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> and even in this one, even in this one, like there's a lot of people being murdered. And I was like, mm, I don't oh, know how long so I want to talk about that. I'm so yes. curious now. Okay. So tell me, tell me, tell me. <laughs> okay. So my, um, murder here is about James. I want to call his last name Rupert because, you know, that's my dog's name, but I think it's Rupert. 
R-U-P-P-E-R-T. So I just want to be like, Rupert was born, but it's not. It's not my dog. Um, so James was born March 29th, 1934. Basically, it seems that he was raised in an abusive household. The dad was especially awful to him. And mom apparently made a point to call him a mistake because she had wanted a daughter. So the dad... So no pressure early on. Yeah, no yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. So I think that... Yeah, he seems really well adjusted from the get-go. No. Okay, so immediately when he is 12, his father dies. And his older brother, Leonard Jr., who is the father's name as well, so, like, obviously he was the favorite the entire time, um, he was 14. So I guess no one really missed the dad, whatever. Um, but Leonard Jr. became the head of the family, and he was also, like, Mr. Perfect. Like, he was one who was playing sports and getting good grades, and he was picking on James the entire time. Yeah. So James did poorly in school. He didn't have many friends. He was also a really tiny guy. As an adult, he was only five foot six inches and weighed 135 pounds, um, which are both, both of those things are smaller than me. I'm an adult woman and I weigh more than that and am taller than that. So <laughs> he's little, he's a little guy and he's getting picked on. Um, he actually tried to kill himself at age 16 um, by hanging himself with a sheet and he just, yeah, he failed. And it's so unfortunate. In a history of psychological distress and social distress. Yes. And history of abuse. Yeah. So he basically hated his family from the get go, hated his dad, hated his mom, hated his brother. He flunked out of college and then his girlfriend graduated from college pretty successfully. I believe he was an engineer um ah shit can, no pressure no can i tell you the worst thing about this oh okay G yeah guess 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 who his older brother married oh tell me it's the girlfriend it was a girlfriend of james motherfucker yeah 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 so he oh, marries God. a girlfriend of james yep isn't that wonderful and guess how many children they had <gasps> oh god oh god okay um let's go with three Oh no, they had eight children. Holy shit! <laughs> Holy shit! No! Yeah, yeah, they had eight kids. So, um, he's successful. He's successfully having babies. He's successfully married. And then the little brother, James, is actually not doing well at all. He loses his job. He had to move in with his mom. He lost a large amount of money, like most of his money, during the stock market crash um, a few years earlier. Um, he also starts drinking heavily at this point, and his mom told him she was basically tired of having him in the house. She was tired of his drinking, and she said that she was probably going to end up evicting him, or she, like, threatened to evict him. And so, again, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. It seems like it's a real chill environment. <laughs> I can't. Okay, so March 29th is James' birthday. He apparently spent the day shooting cans, and apparently he was known for being a very good marksman. Yep, that comes into play later. Foreshadowing, I, f I think it's called. There was foreshadowing. There's definitely some foreshadowing. I'm so nervous right now. This case <laughs> makes me so uncomfortable. I'm, like, giggling. I'm like, oh. Um, okay, so he's shooting a can. They see him in the afternoon. Then he goes and he gets drunk at a bar. The waitress said that he seemed deeply depressed. And had talked about how his mother had placed these demands on him and threatened eviction. And he is quoted saying, he needs to solve the problem. So he left the bar at 11 and then returned 
like a few hours later. And then when he was leaving at 2.30 in the morning, the waitress said, did you solve the problem? And he said, not yet. Yeah. Womp womp. Not yet. <laughs> what, yeah. Was she into, what was she expecting? What was he expecting? <laughs> yeah. In, the, in two hours between like getting drunk at the bar and returning to the bar drunk. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what she thought was going to get done. Okay. Yeah. So the next day is Easter. Um, just like tomorrow is Easter for us. Only shout out family annihilators. No. Okay. Bye. <laughs> no, I know. Right. I mean, it's like, I, I think we were talking about this earlier and you were like, Oh yeah, like no stress on Easter, but I was like, what about this Easter? No one's seeing anybody. But then actually, people have been quarantined with their families for weeks. Uh-huh. So yeah. You, <laughs> you might get a little hairy for some people coming up. Saying. Yeah. Um, I'm saying hopefully no like murders, but I do feel like I've heard some stories about people getting upset about other people like breathing wrong, you know? Or like you put your shoes same. in the wrong place. They're all same scout breathes wrong and I'm like that's enough I'm done I'm sick of your shit scout's my dog for those of you that do not know because Victoria and I are both um quarantined with our animals and no one really else right like yeah, we're no like every, yeah everyone's pretty chill in my house my dogs and I get along so I, I would be quarantined with them 24 7 if I could <sighs> okay so back to Easter um so Leonard you know the 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 favorite brother and his wife brought their eight children. They were ranging in age from four to 17 to see their grandmother at the house. Um, James had stayed upstairs. He was sleeping off his night of drinking. Um, they had actually gone to Easter services that morning. I don't think James attended. The kids had done an Easter egg hunt in the front yard of the grandmother's house. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really sweet. Except for, except for it's not sweet. Well, it's sad. Okay. Yeah. So um, the grandmother, uh, the wife, and the brother were inside finishing lunch, um, and the children were playing in the living room. So at around 4 p.m., he went downstairs, and he first shot and killed his brother, and then the brother's wife, Alma, and then he shooted, shooted, he shooted his mom. Shooted his mom. Shooted his mom. Yes, he shot his mom. Mm. Um, And then he killed the three kids that were in the kitchen. Oh, fuck. Yep. Uh-huh. And then he went into the living room and shot the five kids that were in there. And apparently he shot most of them more than once. Um, oh, should I even say it? Should I say it? So basically, apparently he wounded most of them initially with the first shot. And then he did like a kill shot to the head or the heart for each one of them. I don't, and like, the youngest I don't like this one. I don't like this one, Chris. I know. I'm not um, which which ones do you like? Which ones do you like? They're all like this poor woman was home, or like she was the breadwinner winner, and her husband lost his job, and then he killed their whole family, or like they put the little kid outside and like left him to die. I'm like, what? This is these are awful. Okay, so apparently it only took him five minutes to kill everybody, and then it ended up being the deadliest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can kill, um, what, eight children and three adults in five minutes with guns. That's, that's a thing. You are hustling, like, five minutes. I'm sorry. If we're, like, if you have that many people, you are using firearms, it's making noise, people must be moving around. Like, I, I, what? Wow. Wow. But, but but, okay. But all the adults are in the kitchen. So Ah. you immediately get rid of like the three people who are going to do anything. Apparently the mom like lunged at him, but like while she's lunging at him, he's shooting her. So 
you can't do anything there. And like, I mean, what were the three, the five kids in the living room thinking when they're hearing gunshots in the house? Like, I don't know what they did, but like, I could imagine, you know, a four-year-old doesn't know what to do in that situation. I mean, adults don't know what to do in that situation. Right. That fight, flight, or freeze. Yeah. I'm sure they were just panicked. So apparently he sat in the house with his dead family for three hours before he called the police. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What? I also, like, I'm going to get into, like, the other stuff here, but I, my belief, I'm going to use the word scumbag to describe (laughs) him. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like an actual scumbag. Like, he wants to plead insanity and whatever, and I think that was his plan the whole time to be like, I'm just crazy. I don't know what I'm doing. But no, no, no. I think he did know what he was doing, and I think he was just bitter, and I, it's just awful. I mean, if you're um, telling someone in the bar that, like, prior, he he's formulating a plan, like, this is obviously not, like, a spontaneous, like, hey, you know what? I'm just really angry, and all this happened. It was thought out. That's different. Yes, ma'am. Um, so the police described this, the home as a scene out of a slaughterhouse. They said that there was so much blood splashed up about the floor that it dripped into the basement. Um, and I actually looked this up because I had looked up a bunch of articles and there was one news page that was saying, oh, like this house was very hard to sell for a while. You know, like, I wonder why. I wonder why. But then the lady who lived there, like she was interviewed recently and she said, you know what? I think like I don't have any reports of ghosts or I'm like not too creeped out about it. But in the basement, there were pictures mm-hmm. and you could see that there literally were like bloodstained drips from on the like those boards in the basement you know when you look up and you can see like the supporting beams yeah yeah i was like uh basements are creepy enough i don't know if i'd ever i would probably paint it over i think i would just lock the door and never go down ever again <laughs> you're like you if know, i have to do laundry i'm just gonna go someplace. i'm just gonna yeah. i'm gonna go pay for it i'm not doing this yeah so uh he was described as a quiet, unassuming man and the perfect neighbor. People were very surprised to hear that he had murdered everybody. Um, but he was arrested and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. He was very uncooperative, and he apparently made it very clear from the get-go that he was going to plead insanity. But prosecutors believed that he planned to plead insanity and then be cured and then inherit a $300,000 inheritance. Go fuck yourself. Inheritance. Inheritance. Yeah. So that sounds about right to me. And also, like, why? so he probably wasn't angry at the kids, but he was probably resentful of the children. But, like, why would you kill the kids of your brother besides the fact that that's where the money would go and it wouldn't go to him if, yeah. Bingo, yep. girl. Eight kids, 300 mil. What yes. better? What better than all of the pot? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So he originally... He is um, convicted of all 11 counts and sentenced to life in prison. And then, yeah, hold on. It just, it's, I mean, it, it's all right, but like <laughs> he has three, he has two more trials after this. There's another, a mistrial is declared oh. and a second trial is held because he said he couldn't get a fair trial in his hometown. So in the next one, prosecutors brought in new evidence and said that they, he had planned it. So he again received 11 consecutive life sentences in prison. And then he appealed. <laughs> and then a three-judge panel found him guilty of two counts of first-degree murder for his mother and his brother, 
but found him not guilty of the other nine counts by reason of insanity. But I think, but I think we're splitting hairs here. Like, (laughs) yeah, 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 yeah. And honestly, like, it's like, it doesn't even matter. I think like the the part of me that likes justice is like, no, he should have to be charged with everything. Mm. But the other part of me is like, he's still in prison right now and he's probably never going to get out. And right now he's not even eligible for parole for another five more years. And this happens, um, you know, I think he's like 80 something right now. Yeah. Yeah. So he's yeah. Yeah. So the, that's the only social worky thing related to this was my little description of family killers, because I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess abuse can lead people to feel resentful and want to hurt people later, but they don't always do that. And like, I was trying to think of like other things we could do, like, but I don't know. I didn't want to give him too much credit. And the only real reason I did this one was because tomorrow's Easter. And I was like, okay, what a good day to do that. <laughs> on brand, on theme. Nice. Yeah. Do you think anything, I'm just spitballing here because I know your background's more drug and alcohol. Do you think anything with intoxication and like greed has anything to play into it? Or do you think like he literally was just like, bad I mean I think I think I do think that when people are intoxicated it lowers their inhibitions and maybe I think people do a lot of things that they wouldn't do normally if they were sober I mean including hurting others hurting themselves Mm -hmm. and not not even just like for withdrawal or to like get more drugs or whatever like I think when especially when you're drunk you're like this seems like a good idea Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes (laughs) so I mean it could be maybe that he was drunk and, you know, like that drunk rage and he's an alcoholic, so maybe he's a totally different person while he's drinking. Fair. Just didn't um, know if there was anything about that, like, oh, if he was sober during the time or if he was just coming off of a hangover or, you know what I mean? If there was like any. I didn't see anything about him being drunk, but he did sleep until four in the afternoon. Afternoon. Mm-hmm. Did you hear me say after moon? After moon. Um, yeah. So he it seemed like there was a drinking problem that his mom was concerned with, but. I couldn't tell if that was, hey, you don't have any money, yet you keep going to the bar, or if it was like you're drunk all day and, you know, you're, yeah, addicted. But I, I mean, either way, either way, most people don't kill their families, even if they're alcoholics and when they're drunk. So, yeah. Happy people I, don't I keep like their it. husbands. Happy people just don't. Hell <laughs> <I> would. <laughs> That's true. That's definitely true. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. Okay, so this is, that. yeah, I'm just really excited to hear about your case because I feel like this is like one of the ones that you've always been really interested in and you've been talking to me about doing an episode on this for a while. So I'm like, Vic, do your thing. It's kind of mine was funny like, though because <laughs> foreshadowing, I didn't realize Shirley and this <laughs> cast of characters were kind of in the same ballpark. Um, So that was, what do you mean? Oh, girl, let me tell you. Sit down, get <laughs> comfy, get your Diet Coke. Because <laughs> I'm not <gasps> have- spill the tea. Here we go. If you have tea. Oh, okay. So by the way, for people who are listening, this is the first time Chris and I are actually seeing each other in weeks. Like we're FaceTiming and recording our video. So I see Chris's reactions this time. So I'm very excited. Okay, and the reason we have to do this is because I'm awkward as shit. And if anyone knows me, like, I don't talk on the phone. I don't like talking on the phone. And our last two episodes we did, I think they felt like they were on the phone for me. Mm -hmm. And I was, like, feeling, like, a little weird in my apartment. I was like, Victoria, can I put you, like, on FaceTime? 
and we'll just mute and record because <laughs> I felt weird. I, I don't know if I liked my last episode and how I was talking. So. And I'm like usually the most agreeable person. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever you want. <laughs> You're like, whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, let me know. I love you. You're the best partner to do this with. <laughs> All right. So right out the gate. Here we go. We are talking about Susan Cox Powell. So, um, yeah, for the longest time when this came out, um, my mom's name is Susan Powell. So that's why people were like, what? And I was like, what? And I was like, oh my God. So a little bit of I, I was gonna add, a little weird affinity to it. But it was funny because I played it off when I first heard about it, like Susan Powell missing. And I'm like, meh, meh, meh. And then when I read the case, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so anywho, we're going to get into it because there is a lot to unpack. Here we go. All right, so on the morning of December 6, 2009, Susan and her sons, Charles and Brayden, attended a church service. A neighbor visited them at home in the afternoon and left around 5 p.m. At first, the entire Powell family was reported missing on December 7th by relatives. Joshua's mother, Terica, Teresa, I don't know, T-E-R-R-I-C-A, I don't know. I'm going to go with Terica, although it looks like a Terica. Oh, man. I don't know. I bet you they probably try. It's like, I'm, call I'm not a I'm big fan of people you. spelling their names differently. Yeah. So I, I mean, I like Teresa probably, but. I'm going to uh, go with T on this one. So if you say Mama T, okay. that's who I'm referring to. So Mama T and Sister Jennifer Graves went looking for the family at their house, so at the Powell house, shortly after being informed that the children had not been dropped off at daycare that morning. So that was very suspicious, very out of character. The kids are religiously going to daycare. They called the police when Josh's mom and sister failed to make contact with Josh and Susan. So haven't heard from them. They sounded the alarm, called 911. So what happened was police broke into the house, fearing that that maybe they had been victims of carbon monoxide poisoning. I'm not entirely sure why they thought that, but that's kind of what they were thinking. They found no one inside, but noticed two box fans blowing on a wet spot on the couch. Um, So just kind of evidence that they're keeping in their brain. Susan didn't show up to her job on December 7th, and that was very unlike her. She was the breadwinner of the house. She was the person who was bringing in all the money. Um, But and her purse, wallet and an identification were all found at the house. So, again, very weird. And her cell phone was later found in the family's only vehicle, a minivan that Josh had been using. So already we kind of have no idea what's going on, where they are, what is happening here. So later that day, around 5 p.m., Josh returns home with the two boys and was taken to police station for questioning. He claimed that he had left students sleeping at the house shortly after midnight on December 7th and had to go fishing, right? Is he going yeah, fishing? Yeah, yeah, to go on a, a fishing trip. Home? Yes. At okay. Springs okay. in Western Utah. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is that case that I like, I kind of remember some details yes. of. And it's just, even as you were going to say it, I was like, yeah, yeah, he went fishing uh-huh. in the middle of the night. Because like, why wouldn't you do yep. that? Isn't that what everybody does? Uh-huh. You wake up your two small children to leave the house. Kids, get ready, we're going. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I was like that, I'd be like, fuck you, dad. Good night. No way. I'm still like that. Like, if anyone tries to wake me up, I'm like, what are you doing? This was I was never getting up at this time. Yeah. So police visited Simpson Springs because they're like, okay, I guess we kind of have to explore this on December 10th and found no evidence of the campsite that Josh had described. So already they're like, what the fuck, man? They also had found it suspicious that Josh would take his younger boys out camping after midnight, folks. When he was going to work at his job hours later. So, like, yeah, that seems. Mm-hmm. 
So Josh had told his had not told his boss that he was not going to come into work that day and explained it to police because it was, <laughs> it was because he had thought it was Sunday rather than Monday. All those pesky days. Okay. <laughs> and I just OK. And so like the, he wasn't arrested at this point. Like, I just right. feel like, I, I, you know, like if the police come to your house and you're like, I didn't know what day of the week it was. And I just went camping in the middle of the night. Like the police would be like, nothing. This you doesn't need make to sense. go to the local psych hospital. What are you talking about? You already no, failed. No, I think it would be, I feel like it's just such a bad alibi. Like, really? Like the police don't just go, nope, that's bullshit. There's no fucking way that this is what's happening right now. You're coming with us. Like, I don't know. Well, that's the thing. I think he was questioned at the station. So he was already kind of pulled on in, but they were just like, what the fuck? So they weren't like, we're going to keep you here for a little bit. Cause that sounds like, right. Lies. But they had nothing to hold him on. They were just like questioning him. So except for the, what God, sorry. I'm go no on. No worries. On. So basically this started this whole chain of reaction. So before um, they went to go visit the campsite, they searched the Powell residence on December 9th and investigators found traces of Susan's blood on the floor, life insurance policies on Susan for up to 1.5 million and a handwritten letter from Susan expressing fear for her life. DNA test. They found that at the yeah, house? at the house. Okay. DNA test results released in 2013 matched one blood sample with Susan while another sample was determined to have come from an unknown male contributor okay sorry wait did they know did she say that she was fearing for her life from her husband it just said right there just fearing for her life um the the, the powell side is a little wild um they got they got a lot of issues and i'm gonna actually break down two of the people that i think we need to pay a little bit more attention to josh and his dad steven um and i think the when I explain those two and their background a little bit more, you'll kind of see why Susan's a little bit like, I don't know about all this. Um, but they were again living in Utah. They were, Susan was working. Um, they were kind of away from where his family lived up in Washington. So just keep that in your brain. So in August, 2012, West Valley city police released documents showing that Josh took actions that were regarded as highly suspicious following Susan's disappearance. Josh liquidated Susan's retirement accounts, canceled her regularly scheduled chiropractic sessions, and withdrew his children from the daycare. He had previously spoken to coworkers about how to hide a body in an abandoned mine shaft in western Utah desert. Are you wait what wait what did he what did he do for a living? That's the thing. I'm not entirely sure because he like bounced around from job to job. It looked like he couldn't really hold jobs. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what he was doing at this point in time. But hey, also. Can I just say that this is a thing that I get freaked out about because we have a true crime podcast and I feel like sometimes I like Google, Googling like family annihilator mm -hmm. or like, I'm like, no, 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 like you would never want to do that with the body because you definitely get caught right away. Or like even with the tiger king, mm -hmm. right? I'm like, no, do tigers, I don't know if a tiger would fully eat a body, but pigs would. <laughs> like, <where it's> like <laughs> you know what I mean? Where like, you know, things that like maybe we would talk about with normal people and they'd get freaked out, but like. I mean, definitely, that's something to be freaked out about unless you're um, a true crime person. I don't know, man. I do OCD therapy and exposure is what we do all the time. So, like, tell me a little bit more about this terrifying thought you have. So, I'm just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, but if someone was like, um, Victoria, I'm having thoughts about killing people. Oh, no, no. let's. Okay, no, no. I'm going to rephrase that. Actually, he said, Victoria, do you think that bleach would get out blood stains from the carpet? Wouldn't you be like... Hmm. Why do you want to get out blood stains from the carpet? Like, it would definitely be raised, but I would be like, 
I don't know. I'm clumsy AF and I'm always like picking at my fingers. So I'm always like dropping blood. <laughs> you will, for any police <laughs> listening, you will know where I have been. I shed hair. I shed blood. Like you're done. Me too. As I'm playing with my hair. <laughs> You'll know where I've been. And don't hold that against me. So anywho, <laughs> police interviewed the family's eldest son, Charlie, who confirmed that the camping trip Josh described took place. However, unlike his father, he stated that Susan, his mom, had gone with them and did not come back. Weeks after her disappearance, a teacher reported that Charlie had claimed that his mother was dead. So Charlie apparently is out and about shouting from the rooftops. My mom's dead. How old is Charlie? Charlie, I believe, was only six at the time. Oh my god! So he like years. murdered her and told his kids that they were dead. I like he didn't think that, that was a bad I, idea. I think Brayden and Charlie were actually with Josh when he did. Is he just yeah? Because and they Josh never is found. Really stupid. Kind of. Really? Is he kind stupid? Of. He has some, he yeah, has some okay. narcissistic tendencies, and I'll talk more about that. But he um. Like, you also is he dumb i kind of get the impression he's not the smartest you know okay because i'm just like you you trusted a six-year-old with information well here's the thing because i think brayden because they never found susan's body they have no idea what happened to her she was legally declared dead but brayden and charlie did you know it sounds like they were with josh like through this whole thing like it's not because here's the next thing furthermore susan's parents chuck and judy cox claim that while at daycare several months after the disappearance brayden drew a picture of a van with three people in it and told the carers at the daycare that mommy was in the trunk so yeah so basically this started to get things rolling because they were like well wait a second what is going on here so then investigators informed the media they were planning to question Josh again and subpoenaed all footage and interviews, aired and unaired, of Josh from local television stations. On December 14th, Josh retained an attorney in connection with the investigation, and police said that they that he grew increasingly uncooperative. And then on January 6th, Josh indicating he indicated he was moving permanently into Palliope. Oh, this is this language. U-Y-A-L-L-U-P, Washington. So Pallyup. Yeah. Okay, whatever. I don't know. I don't got that one. He moved to Washington State about 15 to 20 minutes away from (laughs) his father's house. That is going to be very, very, very important for you to pay attention to. So think about this. He's feeling the heat. He's getting out of Utah. He's going home to dad's house. We're going home where he's from. All right. So keep that in your brain. All right. So let's talk a little bit about our main character, Josh, here. Josh has had a troubled history, so let's talk about it. As a teenager, Josh allegedly killed gerbils belonging to one of his sisters and threatened his mother with a butcher's knife. He also attempted suicide on at least one occasion. And according to a divorce filing from Mama T in 1992, the dad, Stephen, shared pornography with Joshua and his two male siblings and refused to teach or enforce limits on certain behaviors. So, not great upbringing not great role modeling so kind of a troubled individual and he had history of relationships with other women and one of the ones that was recorded said that he was very controlling wanted to know where she was who she was with and was just very much that controlling domineering personality so this kind of foreshadows into his relationship with susan josh met susan a classmate at his lds Institute of Religion course in November 2000. The two began a oh my God. and eventually married at the Portland, Oregon Temple in April 2001. 
It was reported that he was controlling in his relationships, especially with Susan in regards to her location, use of finances. And she was um, one of the podcasts I listened to, and it's going to escape me, and I'm going to be really mad about it. Um, he basically gave her exact change for things. And he was like, you cannot, like when you go shopping, that's it. Like no more, no less. And if you spend over, there's going to be consequences. So he was, Wait, even though, even though she was correct. the breadwinner. So even though she was bringing in the money, he told her how yeah. to do it. And then the other fun thing was there would be times where he <gasps> would t- like be like, I'm getting the fun, fancy, nice things. You don't. Like he would dictate that he would get more, she would get less. And that was it. So, all right. So everything with Susan happens. She disappears, suspected murder, can't find a body. So we're kind of keeping moving with that. So that happens. And then in late 2011, Josh underwent a series of court ordered evaluations in the state of Washington. The evaluations by James Manley determined that Josh had adequate parenting skills, a steady employment history. That's kind of debatable. And no criminal criminal record or history of domestic violence. Again, okay. However, Manley also raised issues concerning the ongoing criminal investigation. Joshua's failure to admit normal personal shortcomings, his overbearing behavior with his sons, and a persistent defensiveness and paranoia, which was attributed to the police and media attention in conjunction with underlying narcissistic traits. The initial recommendation was for Joshua to have visitations with his sons several times a week, supervised by a social worker. So, okay, you might be like, okay, well, why are we talking about visitations with a social worker? Because here's the fun thing. In one of the fun things, in September 2011, Chuck Cox filed for custody of Susan's children the day after Josh's father, Stephen, was arrested. And I will explain why that is super important for us to know in a a minute when I get to Stephen, because he has his own paragraphs, plural. Um, A Washington court. mm -hmm. Wait. I'm okay. Wait, say that. Can you say that again? Say the sentence again. Who filed for custody? Chuck Cox. So Susan's father, Susan's parents. Okay, they were trying to get custody Correct. of the boys. Because okay. Josh's father, Stephen, was arrested. And I'm going to explain more as to why he was arrested. Um, so Got that's it. why there were some Later. underlying issues okay. there. Washington court eventually okay. granted Cox's family temporary custody of the boys, ruling that Josh would have to move out of Stephen's home if he wanted to regain custody. Josh rented a house in South Hill, Washington, but authorities later alleged that he had never actually moved into that house, merely making it appear as if he'd satisfied the court's instructions while continuing to reside in Stevens' home. Mind you, this house in South Hill, Washington, from where, you know, dad lives is about 15 minutes away. So, like, we're not talking, like, leaps and bounds of distance here. Okay. So, again, with, you know, because this gets a whole lot worse. Um, but for Josh, the last thing I want you guys to pay attention to for him and why maybe this definitely escalated the way that it did is in the last week of January 2012, Utah police discovered about 400, 400 images of simulated child pornography, bestiality, oh and my incest God. on Josh's computer. The images, while not technically illegal due to them being hand-drawn or cartoonish 3D format, were causes for great concern to the person who evaluated him manly, particularly given Josh's earlier denial of possessing any such material. So he lied. Josh Yeah. Okay, wait. Wow. Okay, so the dad of these two small children had pictures, pictures, like hand drawings, mm-hmm. characters of um okay, of child pornography, bestiality, bestiality and pornography 
and incest. And what does that mean, incest? Like, do you know, like, is it pictures of him with his That's kids? That's the thing I'm not entirely sure of. I got the okay. impression based on the podcast I was listening to. I think there is something in there. But you're going to hear a little bit more about Josh's background from Stephen. And you'll kind of see that maybe there is something going on there within familial incest. So I'll talk a little bit more about that. Oh, God. Um, Josh, again, was recommended to receive more thorough psychosexual evaluation and polygraph test, but mainly suggested no change in the visitation schedule with the boys. So, again, this is in the last week of January 2012. So flag that in your mind. This has all happened. And then something bigger is going to come around the corner. Okay. So now we're going to shift gears a little bit, kind of do a little pot de ray over and talk about Stephen Powell, who is Josh's father. And this piece of shit can go fuck himself. I'm sorry. <laughs> so early in Josh's relationship and their marriage, they lived in Stephen's house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Things are coming to mind. Did he like slap her ass? Oh, it gets better, girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK, it's worse. It's worse. <laughs> it's not better. It's not much better. worse. Okay. He had developed, so, so Stephen, the dad, had developed an obsessive infatuation with Susan, which was only inflamed, gross word by Wikipedia, by their close proximity. Stephen, being a fucking creep, followed Susan around the house with a camcorder, used a small mirror to spy on her while she used the bathroom, stole her underwear from her laundry, read her journals, and even posted love songs online. Oh so this is just what he's doing, right? He's just doing that behind the scenes being real fucking creep. In 2003, Stephen confessed his feelings to Susan, who fucking rejected him. The encounter with... Oh, oh yeah? She wasn't flattered by she that? She was not. The, the bathroom mirror pictures? No. Okay. No, no, no. But he had a history of his voyeuristic behavior of, like, watching and recording people unsuspectingly. So in that, that's something you're going to need to flag in your brain as well. Um, this rejection was captured on Stephen's camcord microphone. After all that happened, Powell's moved out of state, partially so Susan could distance herself. Wait, did you listen to I it? Did, did you listen not. to that? Because okay. there's already <laughs> too much in my brain, and I'm like, I can't add one more thing of grossness. Yeah, I know. Okay, so then they, they were like, or, I, what, what do you do in that situation? You're like, uh, husband, your dad just confessed his love to me. Like, and what is Josh? Josh was like, yeah, that totally makes sense. It makes Why sense because my dad's a fucking perv. So, and I'm okay so with So remember it. that concern about having to move out of Stephen's home? Well, here's why, ladies and gents. On September 22nd, 2011, Stephen was arrested on charges of voyeurism and child pornography after police found evidence that he had secretly videotaped numerous women and young girls, including Susan. John Long, the assistant, um, the assistant attorney general for Washington state, said that Joshua, too, was actually a subject in the child pornography investigation. So he was a subject. So let's just think about that in terms of your upbringing, um, who your parents are. Okay, but mm -hmm. I'm like, can we also keep that in mind when you're thinking, like, should this person have custody Correct. or possession of Correct. children? That's why basically so they were have like, contact with children? So that's why um, the police and the lawyers were saying, like, okay, here's the thing, Josh. Like, if you want custody of supervisors, it's only you have to be out of Stephen's house, period. But, like, also if you're investigated because you're a subject, related to a child pornography like mm -hmm. bust are you allowed to have access to children well that's the thing i wasn't 
I, I feel like maybe I was should... thinking, see, I think, are you taking it as, as an adult as subject? Because I was taking it as a child subject. Oh, oh, oh my God. Like he had been in the pictures. Oh no. Yeah, yeah. I was taking it as he was an adult. I was like, taking it as oh, he was a child, oh. like a child. Oh. I may be wrong. Oh. This is said, yeah, that's a no, no, you're probably right. It just I'm said wrong. that Joshua was a subject in the child pornography investigations. In so I'm oh, not sure okay. if he was. Okay, that, or, no. mm, but it sounds like, because I'm not saying a person of interest. Or something. So subject, oh man. Correct. Okay, that's okay. So yeah, Ooh. just to even keep going with Stephen's levels of depravity, a friend of Stephen claimed that he was preoccupied with pornography and was, quote, hung up on Susan sexually. So, okay, think about Stephen, think about Josh, and remember what happened to Josh. So in the late late January 2012, um, this really comes back into play because he is really under the heat right now from the lawyers, police, from all this investigation of all the things he's possessing. So this is why this is a familiar side. February 5th, 2012. Social worker Elizabeth Griffin Hall called 911 after taking Charlie and Braden to a supervised visit at Joshua's house in South Hill. Hall, who was supposed to monitor the visit between Joshua and the boys, reported that he grabbed them and would not let her in the door. Soon after, the house exploded, killing Joshua and the two kids. Local authorities treated this case as a um, double murder-suicide saying that the act appeared to have been deliberate. So when I heard about it, mm -hmm, okay, but, okay, I'm sorry, but like the thing that stands out to me, this is, this is where the social worker is on the phone with 911 being like, he's in the house. He is not supposed to have the kids. I need somebody here. And that the 911 lady is like, what do you mean? Is he the dad? And she's like, yes, he's the dad, but he's not supposed to have the kids. He has taken them from me. And she's like, "Hmm, all right. And like, the social worker is like panicked. And then I, I heard this 911 call. I wonder what podcast I listened to. God, maybe it was a crime junkie possibly, but I remember, and you hear yes. the explosion yes. and like, and she's like, the house is on fire now. Maybe somebody should come. crying in the background and you have no idea what's going on. It's, yeah. yeah. And this stupid 911 lady. And I think, okay. I think like later, I want to say I read something or I heard something. It was like, she got training, but like, I remember, I'm like, no, the social worker's like panicked, but like calmly being like, hey, it's an emergency. He's not supposed to have them. He has them. We need help. I need help now. And the lady's like, why? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that whole thing about being a parent and you kind of get that little bit of privilege being able to be like, well, I'm the parent. Well, okay. And I get that. But like, if someone is calling as a supervisor or just like a social worker or someone saying like, he is not supposed to have custody, he has custody, like, that should be a red flag immediately to be like, oh shit, something is really wrong. We got to get this moving. So again, but I think, all, yeah. And even just like a person in that position, like you and I are social workers. Like, and I know everyone always thinks that CUF people are social workers. Most of them are just caseworkers. Like a lot of them are not even social workers. Most of them have bachelor's degrees, but in this situation, and I actually feel like when I've had to call 911 at my job, they're actually very responsive to me. Um, they're actually, I mean, they're very responsive. Like, I feel like we get police there. We get ambulance there. They're like, okay, we get what's happening. You've explained who you are. We trust that whatever you're saying is happening, you know, and I've never, I've never dealt with that. I've always um, had really good, uh, I've had generally really good luck, except for one time with like a, a medical personnel that came in who was not very nice to one of my clients, but the police, fire trucks, 
responsive on time listen to everybody yeah Yeah. I mean you think too I mean I know it's not so so long ago but it was eight years ago and I think you know with tragedies happen we learn and we figure out okay well how can we prevent this you know those kind of root cause analysis we have to do those every once in a while right and it it really does help like I know a lot of people get worried about those kinds of investigations, but it really does take a tragedy and try to make it, well, what could we do differently and how could we have responded differently next time? Like training your your uh, emergency operators better. So again, after a relatively brief investigation, because they kind of knew what was happening here, officials confirmed that the explosion had been deliberately planned. We're going to go a little bit further on this one. So the official cause of death for Josh and the two boys was determined to be carbon monoxide poisoning. However, the coroner also noticed that both children had significant chopping injuries on their heads and neck. So Josh had a hatchet by his body and it was believed that he had attacked the boys before being overwhelmed by smoke and fumes. Fire investigation also found. I hate him yeah, I know, so right? much. <laughs> this is why I didn't like to do these because I was like, I mean, like, I get, I really do. I'm like, I understand how you can maybe want to kill your partner. I get how you could even, like, kill a stranger. Like, especially if you don't have any concept of right or wrong or, like, you don't care if you let other people suffer. But it's, like, children, like, little defenseless guys. And you took a Mm -hmm. hatchet to somebody's body. I even get, like, flooding your house with carbon monoxide because it feels, like, kind of passive. Like, no one's bleeding in front Mm -hmm. of you. But, like, to... Uh, like what what's going through your head that you were okay with chopping somebody up I, yeah your child. I mean, right that's I think when you kind of went over those familiar sides and it's kind of that one about threaten of harm or threaten of the kids being taken away um by the authorities I mean that's kind of what was happening at this point they were saying like shit yes paranoid. he's very paranoid I mean it probably stemmed even before everything that happened with Susan but you know this was kind of like almost the last straw Do you know- is it is I was trying to think like while you were talking like is he self-righteous or is he disappointed like with Susan like when he killed her do you know what the motivation I'm not sure. was is that suggested anyway that was a little bit harder to kind of identify because they kind of went on this thing about um so Josh's brother Michael it was suggested that he was a part of the murder slash cover-up um but from what I gather it's I'm not sure. I think he just caught this impression of like Susan is better than him and couldn't take it anymore and was kind of like just done. But I mean, in terms of I didn't let me here's here's the thing. I didn't focus as much on Susan because, you know, her body was never found. So it was hard to speculate and I didn't really want to speculate. But for these guys with the kids, because I knew a little bit more about what happened and the what was before and after to it. Um, that's why I kind of focus a little bit more on him and the kids in that respect. Okay. Um, ba, 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 ba. So they found two five-gallon cans of gasoline on the premises, as well as evidence that gasoline had been spread throughout the house. Friends and relatives of Josh told authorities that he had contacted them by emails minutes before the incident to say goodbye. Some of them, including his pastor, received instructions about finding his money and shutting off his utilities. Ah. <laughs> like that's such an interesting thing to be worried about when you're going to kill yourself right? and your kids records also showed that he had withdrawn seven thousand dollars from his bank account had seven thousand dollars what the fuck and then donated his children's toys and books to the local charities the day before the incident and then josh named michael his younger brother as the main beneficiary of all his life insurance policies uh charles and Braden. Go ahead. you 
do you know does he get do you get a life insurance payout if you kill your children and yourself that's the thing i'm not sure i would imagine no but yeah i feel like you probably yeah i mean oh okay i don't know anyways sorry no you're, i think you're right on um then charles and were buried <sighs> at woodbrine cemetery which also contains a memorial for their mother joshua's remains were cremated because good yeah, because um, you deserve nothing, and you shouldn't be laid to rest. Yeah, with and then your I family. didn't put this in here, but two years later, Michael actually does die by suicide. Um, I, I it was speculated because he was kind of just couldn't handle it. He was kind of. I, I get that impression. That was the impression I gathered from what I was reading. Um, so that is the Powell murders. Suicide. Oh my gosh! Yeah. See, I mean. You guys can't see my face right now, but Victoria can. I'm just like, I'm so unimpressed. You're unimpressed. I'm, like, I'm like, why? Why? What? You're like, isn't this interesting? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's, there. okay. Yeah. If I look at it from, a, like, I take my emotions away. I go, yeah, it is very interesting. Like the history of abuse, why that, that happened, the system that was set up in which the kids were in the position where they could be taken in the house. Like maybe they should be in like a neutral facility too. But like the other part of me is like, your I think that's, I think that's why it's so fascinating to me the role of parents and how I mean you know like those supervised visitation those visit rights just like with last time we talked about with Shirley that was like fascinating to me I'm just like how like I get it I get it I get it I get it before people are just like family's important yes it fucking is however if we're talking about a toxic environment for a child to learn and grow we got some issues here I didn't realize this and remember it until my brain just made that little synapse fire. Um, but I remember when the Coxes had custody of the boys, they were talking about how when they had the kids over, they didn't even have a concept of how to sit at a table politely and share or eat dinner together. It was just very like wild man out, just like grab and go. And it just seemed like this very hostile, non-structured environment that they were growing up in. and like. To kind of hear from, I think it was either a, a direct quote or from the family themselves. I can't remember, so I apologize. But just to kind of hear how the boys, still really young, that's how they were, you know, interacting with the world. Just very fascinating. And how, you know, violence was okay. Like, you didn't get punished for beating someone up or being in trouble like that. Just very, 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 very interesting. It's just, yeah, it just bums me out. Because I also feel like there could be some, I mean, I'm a big fan of us having rights in the U.S. and I like that we are um, innocent until proven guilty. But I do feel like if you are potentially the person who murdered your children's parents, you probably shouldn't be able to have a lot of custody of the kids. That's why and then you add in, like, those cases are fascinating because with Shirley, kind of thing. Yeah, no, like, that's true. Oh, my God, I know. I just posted stuff on Instagram, like some pictures um, from our last episode, because I'm trying to post a little bit more. It's just been, I've been very stressed out. So I've been like lagging, but like, I'm like, watch, I saw there's like a picture of her holding him, like Zachary. And I'm like, look at that little fat baby. Like, don't you want to take care of him? Like, I, that's not my baby, but I'm like, look at your face. I want to hold you. I couldn't even imagine like what goes through your head where you're like, I'm going to kill this thing. And Okay professionally and and rationally i guess i can but the like the part of me that's like i think i'm like maybe a little bit of like a mama bear like don't touch my dogs and i don't have kids but i imagine i'd probably be the same way with babies that are like you know human babies like 
what the fuck are you doing? Take care of the things that you told you, you when you bring things in the world, you're saying, I will take care of you. I adopted my dogs. I said, I will take care of you. I got mm-hmm. you. It's just like the ultimate betrayal. Um, but even when I'm saying that too, I don't believe that like blood is thicker than water and like who cares if that was their family? Like if he's a potential murderer, like right. that doesn't matter. They might be, have been more better taken care of with strangers. I think that's why it's so sad because like in those instances, the the grandparents of the person who died or was murdered, sorry, murdered really and truly, like wanted to come in and swoop in and yeah. take care and fix and support. And they were pushed away by partially the system, unfortunately, and by the parents and their rights and that is a very interesting dilemma that we have in, you know, our society, just that kind of idea of, okay, just because your rights are vacated doesn't mean they're gone forever at times. And I don't know. I just, but it's fascinating to me to kind of see how someone gets to that point. Like I can kind of see where it gets to that point, but I'm just like, huh? Well, huh? Just very, <laughs> you can see my face, <laughs> but yeah you can see my face <laughs> like you rubbing my forehead rubbing your like, eyebrows oh. so, so <laughs> i'm like stressed out i've been like playing with my hair the yeah, whole you're time fidgeting. Like, oh. you're definitely fidgeting because i'm like <gasps> i don't i don't like these ones i think like i have a hard so uh, the other thing that i've learned with the podcast is that i can listen to things and maybe like zone out like i can listen to a podcast about murder and clean mm-hmm. my house but when I'm researching stuff I'm, and I'm seeing pictures of like babies and children, I'm like, what the, f- this is awful. This is a hur- I don't want to know any more about this. I don't want to know how the kids were happy and how the mom wanted to protect them. And the, like the dad's a loser, scumbag, dirtbag well, dad. Makes yeah, me so well, angry. Right. Because it's not, it's not that, you know, there's a separation effect and it's not that you are just a passive observer anymore. You're actively observing what's going on and yeah. researching and getting more information and details and getting to know the characters and the, I think that's why it helps me a little bit to create some distance I'm like this is a very weird play and I'm just going to talk about the characters um and yeah yeah I just think when because we are getting more in depth and more like I mean I remember the Chelsea Clinton thing I spent like five hours or Chelsea Clinton sorry um the Clintons with Michael Lewinsky uh, yeah, well, my I was Lewinsky. watching okay yeah. so total tangent central here I was watching Xenon Girl for the 21st century and it was like it was year two, 2049 and um they were saying Chelsea Clinton was president and I was like what <laughs> you're like I hope not I'm really right, done with the at Clintons that point. at this point Chelsea Clinton seems like she's a stand-up citizen but like I mean them I'm just done with every time I see Bill Clinton anywhere I'm like I'm so I think our I'm are the Clintons I'm Trump done. parents are crazy <laughs> we're just doing our best okay well, I, the other thing that I've learned is I don't like men in power who get away with things and I don't like people who hurt children like those are really triggering for me where I'm like I can't I think even that's a stretch Chris this. I think you're asking for a lot here <laughs> <laughs> I know, like, why aren't, why aren't more you more okay, okay with, with men in power who get away oh, with tragic gosh. things? I just don't understand. Yeah, or like children being murdered. No, nope, definitely not something that I can. Uh, I'm not. It's not palatable for me. Like, and I can hear it when I'm listening to a podcast. I can watch a documentary that, it, like, it's like I'm not. I'm never fully listening to anything, anyways. I think I'm like cleaning, whatever. I'm oftentimes cleaning, mm. <laughs> going on a walk. You know, like it's like half listening and so it feels like more or less real it feels like a story 
Like, I feel like I'm listening to something yes. like a horror movie versus like seeing a real person who it? has been hurt. And is that why I'm so very fascinated? Sad. Because it almost is like this like weird trance like like no be real like that can't movie. be real. That's no other way. I think it's such an outlier that it's like yeah. fascinating because it's so against the norm. Yeah. No. 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 No, no, no. I mean, I agree. You're, the Powell case is very fascinating. I also, I mean, for me, I think this thing that stuck out was that um, the emergency call. Cause I remember listening to that, like, and I had anxiety. Like I was listening to the social worker, the caseworker being like, Hey, no, like we need mm-hmm. help here now. And the person being like, why? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I remember she was like real calm and like kind of asking a lot of questions yeah. for an emergency. Like, or she hadn't directed the people yet. That was the thing that stood out for me. But no, it's a yeah, really interesting yeah. case. You're and correct. Out, trying to... And it spanned out three years, what? starting with Susan all the way to the um, murder-suicide. So I think that's it, too. It's just it, this was a yeah. very lengthy case, too. So that's why if I didn't cover everything, because I'm not going to be able to cover everything. But that's the case. So there we are. Okay, well... Um, so Easter is tomorrow. I, I imagine that you're not doing much for Easter. I'm not. Right? You know, one I person am not Easter. the religious folk, but um, for those of you that do, uh, can, good for you. Enjoy. <laughs> I know. This happy week was also day. Passover. So, you know, happy, pa- yeah, happy Passover. It's not even my religion. Um, I'm like, yay, Passover. Exactly. Also, I feel like all these people who are staying home with their families right now, hey, don't freak out because we're all in a pressure cooker right now. And just because somebody <laughs> breathes weird does not mean that you want to kill them. It's just a hard situation. Just an interpretation. For it doesn't mean it's a fact. Okay. Just remember that interpretation, not fact. Just remember that. Remember that. <laughs> facts are not. I say that feelings every day. Are not facts. Yeah, <laughs> but it's accurate right and you know the thing i've been telling everybody too like when i've been talking to clients i'm like this is a very stress- stressful situation everything's in a pressure cooker if you thought something was going to be like you know sad annoying stressful and you'd, you'd rate it like a three out of ten it's going to be like an mm-hmm. eight out of ten right now so keep that in mind be gentle with yourselves connect with the people that you want to connect with and you know Bingo. don't push yourself too hard Okay. So, um, thanks, Vic. And happy uh, holidays. Happy <laughs> Easter, Passover. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye.